the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Michelle Brown, founder and CEO of Common Lit, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM in New York City. Literacy is an issue of major concern to parents, those in the field of education, and to a degree, each of us. So if there was a literacy digital platform that was generating 20,000 new users, so if there was a literacy digital platform that was generating 20,000 new users every school day, you might be interested in knowing what they're doing and how they were doing it. And you're going to find that out tonight with Michelle Brown, the founder and CEO of Common Lit. Good evening, Michelle, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Thank you, Denver. It's great to be here. So you're teaching students from low-income backgrounds in rural Mississippi. What happened? What was the impetus that got you started on this journey to be starting Common Lit? Yeah, that's great. So so my journey really starts um, after college. I went to Butler University. I was an English major, graduated in 2009, so 10 years ago. And I joined Teach for America. Um, and I was sent to rural Mississippi to teach seventh grade reading mm-hmm. in a high poverty school. Uh, on day one, I walked into a classroom there that had nothing, no resources, no books. And I spent the next two years of my life scrambling to build a curriculum for students um, and just searching the Internet for hours and hours. And it really amazed me even then 10 years ago as it does now, that there wasn't sort of one institution Mm -hmm. um, that had released, you know, a research-based free digital reading program, um, you know, and that teachers were sort of piecing things together with whatever they could find. Um, So, you know, fast forward, I kept teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved to Boston, and I taught at a high-performing charter school in the Uncommon Schools Network. Uh, where on day one they handed me a curriculum that had been perfected by veteran teachers Uh over 13 years. And my feeling was just like, what are we doing? (laughs) Where was this in Mississippi? Exactly. (laughs) I was like, why isn't it digital? Why hasn't someone put this online? Um, And so that was kind of the the core impetus for starting CommonLit.org. Where are we um, with regard to literacy in this country today? And by that, I mean what percentage of students are reading at grade level? Yeah, so it amazes people to learn this. Um, But about 60% of students leave high school unable to read and write at grade level. Mm. Um, We also know that Something happens in middle school. Um, You know, like if you actually look at the numbers, students are – we're getting better at teaching students to read by grade three. Um, But then the achievement gaps widen around middle school. And the ACT a few years ago published a report that actually said that eighth grade – the eighth, a student's eighth grade score is one of the best predictors of life outcomes. That's a pretty powerful statement. 
So as you begin to put this whole thing together, what was going to become Common Lit, you were looking for best practices, some foundational information based on maybe your own experience, but particularly based on the existing research. What are some of those best practices that you've built this organization on? Yeah, so let me just back up and say, you know, I think that um, the reason I was so interested in best practices is because I was sort of fascinated by how technology specifically could nudge people to change their behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you just go out on the street in front of your office and see how many people are riding around on scooters um, (laughs) in business suits with coffee splashing Uh all over them, Um, you know, technology really does change the way we behave. And so what I was interested in doing, and this is what I focused uh, my grad school experience on, are what are the research-based best practices that have been proven over and over in peer-reviewed studies and randomized experiments that uh, make a difference for kids um, in middle and high school for adolescents. And so there are a handful of them. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, Teaching academic vocabulary explicitly Mm -hmm. is one of the best practices with like 14 citations. Um, And what that means is that actually teaching kids high leverage words, not like obscure words, high leverage academic words that you would see whether you're in a reading class or a math class or a science class, a word like associate. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of those second tier. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Tier two. And, um, and to just see that word and practice with that word over and over and over again. So that's one of the best practices that we nudge through commonlet.org. And what we mean by nudge is like it's actually hard to ignore that best practice if you're <laughs> using commonlet. We're going to make sure that it happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us the broad strokes of the intervention, the product, what the student and teacher experience. What's it like working with commonlet? Yeah. So it's actually really a whole school model. Um, and so what we did is we thought, what what is the foundation of a world-class reading program? Mm-hmm. Or like if you look at very high-achieving schools across the country, what are the things that they have in place? And we found that there were four things. And the first and the foundation is they have core curriculum. And what I mean is like a baseline that they offer teachers Mm -hmm. with all of the materials um, that teachers need every day that sort of builds, um, you know, over time throughout the year. Foundational. That's foundational. Um, And the second is aligned assessments. So, you know, you might be surprised to learn or listeners might be surprised to learn that uh, many school districts and teachers say that the tests that they give students don't actually measure what was taught. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes what, you know, you're getting from your district, you know, you can imagine that would feel like a real gotcha if you're a teacher. It's like, you know, I didn't even teach this this quarter. Blindsided. And so how can you actually, you know, identify whether students are struggling and how you can make a change? So having assessments that actually align to the curriculum. Um, And then uh, the third is um, the formative data. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, the daily, it's basically a dashboard um, that school leaders um, or district leaders can look at. Um, And fourth is teacher professional coaching. And, you know, as a coach, that coaching and practice and reflection is so important. And it's the same for a teacher. 
Now, when you go to Common Lit, is this free or do you have to pay for it? That's a great question. So our business model is that everything that's foundational, that whole core piece, mm-hmm is 100% free for teachers and students. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why we've grown virally. Um, And then I think, you know, in the long run, um, by doing professional development, we can sustain those operations Mm -hmm. and deliver a world-class reading curriculum that's fully digital for less than the cost of a pencil per student, Mm -hmm. which is crazy when you think about efficiency and philanthropy and, you know, putting your dollar to good use. It is crazy. (laughs) Where does your content come from? All over. So content is everything. You know, we believe that what you put in front of students to read matters so much. It can change your perspective. Um, And so we're very, very picky. We have a team of eight curriculum writers. Um, We have news articles, poems, short stories, historical documents. Um, We collect from anthologies. We commission works from new up-and-coming writers um, to ensure that, you know, our stories feature diverse characters and protagonists. So it's really quite diverse. Mm -hmm. We have, like, Amy Tan, Malcolm Gladwell, you name it. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of your best practices, too, which is diverse array of literature. I love that you know the, the best practices. That's great. Well, I'll quiz you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it was in the text, you know yeah. what I mean? It has to be uh, appropriate yeah. to the text <laughs> in the quiz, which is another one of your best practices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's great. Um, so, so let me see if I have this right, Michelle. You were doing seven course plans every single day in Mississippi because you had kids in your class from A to Z in terms of their capability. Are you saying here that teachers and students can go to this library and get something that's just right for them? That's right, but it's actually a little bit more nuanced than Mm -hmm. that. And so let me sort of paint the picture for you. And so you're a teacher and you teach seventh grade reading and you have a class of students who read at seven different grade levels. But you also know that it's a best practice for you to have a shared classroom experience. Mm-hmm. You want to teach students about a concept. You want them to be able to, you know, all read and interact with something that's grade level appropriate. With Common Lit, you can assign differentiated supports or ladders, mm-hmm. if you will, for different students by enabling or disabling those supports like read aloud, translation, guided reading mode, um, just to give those students an extra bridge to grade level content. Got you. Got you. Well, you built this around the education first, but you're a high, high tech nonprofit. That's right. So speak to us a little bit about the tech part of this. Yeah. So, you know, when people ask whether we're a nonprofit or a tech company, I usually say we're more of a tech company. Uh Um, And and what I mean by that is um, we are really, um, you know, we build – we have built our entire platform to be in the service of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so while there are other you know, organizations that do have free curriculum, um, one difference is that they didn't build the technology iteratively at the same time that they wrote the curriculum. And so we, um, you know, the experience of Common Lit is very intertwined with the content and the way the poems, particular poems are presented, for yeah. example, the line breaks <clears throat> and enjambments and, and things like that. Um, so it's been a really quite interesting journey. 
Yeah, let me ask you a little bit about your explosive growth. I said in the opening mm-hmm. you're getting 20,000 new registered users every school day, mm-hmm. like 13 million or something. You know, there's a lot of other offerings out there which are for free, and they don't get this kind of growth. So what do you attribute part of it to? Yeah, I think that there are a few things. Um, I think there are three things. I think first is that in 2013, 45 states um, signed on to the Common Core. Mm-hmm. And so we had new standards that were, you know, and people were looking for new um, content uh, to align with those standards. The second thing is in 2015, the influx of technology in schools. Um, iPads, Chromebooks were flooding schools, and they were there in classrooms, whether teachers were or students were ready for them or not, right. um, and for better or for worse. Right. And so I think those two factors, along with just the attention that we had to quality content um, and our timing was just like the perfect storm. And so you're right. We now, on average, on a school day register 20,000 teachers and students. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And you recently brought in a team to measure your impact. That's right. Um, how effective you are. What did you find out? Yeah, so this is <clears throat> was uh, so interesting. So what we did is we had three questions. One is when students use CommonLit, do they do better on CommonLit assessments that we wrote? The answer from that across our entire sample was yes. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine that doesn't really say much because if you use Flappy Bird more, you get better at Flappy Bird. (laughs) I wouldn't have used that analogy, but I get it. You have a (laughs) one-year-old. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And so – and the second is, so, okay, so what about – are the gains within CommonLit correlated to gains on an outside assessment that CommonLit didn't wrote mm-hmm. that's been nationally normed? Um, and so we looked across the state of Florida at schools' growth on the Florida State Assessment in English Language Arts and found that there was a strong, strong correlation between frequency of use on our platform and student gains on that assessment. So that was a great finding. It sure is. Our third question was, do schools, does CommonLit have a greater impact in low-income schools, which is specific to our mission? And the answer was a small, but yes, a special effect for low-income schools. Well, with the wonderful success you've had in this country, you started looking overseas, going global. Tell us where you stand with that. Yeah. So um, about 18 months ago, we got a $3.5 million grant from Google.org to expand our work in Mexico. And so we partnered with a great organization called UNATE. Mm -hmm. Um, You might be familiar with it. And what they do is they work with rural and under-resourced schools across Mexico. Um, I think they have like maybe a thousand or something like that. And they um, bring in internet and hardware into the schools. And so we came in and brought the CommonLit platform, and also training um, for the teachers and who are now piloting it now. Um, so we've had great success there. We've learned a lot about, you know, working internationally, and frankly, just that our assumptions about viral growth do not port in the <laughs> international context. Yeah. And so the way that, you know, we've learned a lot about how teachers around the world discover teaching resources and how it's so different and Mm. actually 
far more centralized in Mexico than in the U.S. Um, Michelle, let's get to the organization a little bit. And when you start up uh, Common Lit, something like this, you're probably going back and forth. Do I make this a nonprofit? Do I make this a social good business? Maybe a benefit corporation? A lot of things that you uh, had away. Tell us about what some of those things were and why you decided on the nonprofit model. Yeah, so this wasn't a very easy decision. Never is. And I can tell you that, you know, at the time when I was deciding this, there were so many education technology startups that were raising tons of money in early stage venture capital. And so, you know, and then meanwhile, I mean, you know, talking from other entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, that um, institutional foundations aren't always equipped to, you know, they don't always open their doors wide for very, very early stage no, nonprofits. No, they want proven concepts. Yeah, exactly. They're looking for proof. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I felt that I wanted to invest all of the organization's resources in R&D. Mm-hmm. And instead of focusing in the early stages on a business model and sales and marketing and, you know, having a booth at a conference, I just wanted to double down and show efficacy. Yeah. And it takes time and it's very difficult to do when you have some, um, you know, venture capitalists there wanting the return, wanting the return. Mm-hmm. And you really f- forget about what you're trying to do and you're trying to please them because they put up the the initial money. Well, you also received a $4 million grant from the Department of Education a number of years ago. And with that grant, you said, uh-oh, we got a lot of stuff to do here. Yes. There are high expectations. And you scaled up the organization very, very quickly. You did some things very well and probably a few things that you learned some lessons from. Tell us about those. Yeah. So in 2016, um, and at the time we were a three-person team, Mm -hmm. um, and I was not collecting a salary at that point either. Um, I was working out of, you know, like a shared office space, sort of like a WeWork in Washington, D.C. Took your wedding money and put it into this. (laughs) And we were still kind of just like watching our Google Analytics. Um, And then I found this federal grant on grants.gov called Innovative Approaches to Literacy, and I read it, and I thought, you know what? The research study that I did meets the What Works Clearinghouse, Mm -hmm. you know, standard for quasi-experimental design. I think that I can win this. And so I spent a couple months just building this entire plan for, you know, basically the the roadmap of the organization, um, which was remarkably right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we stuck to it quite uh, quite well. And um, and uh, we had to hire, you know, like 15 people in 40 days or wow. something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I learned so much from that experience. Um, you know, I'd really never hired anyone mm-hmm. in my life. I had never managed a large team. And so I think... Um, you know, what I've learned now is that you have to think about company culture way earlier than you think. And I I wrote an article about how I think you need to define it first or it will define you. Yeah, and it's hard to, to get out of it after it's defined you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that we sort of got people who's quickly, whose resumes looked amazing and sort of failed also in the interview process to ask some of the core questions about, you know, how do you like to work? Mm-hmm. Are you very collaborative? You know, are you ready to go in a startup environment? Um you know, and also just having a mission fit. 
um, and really believing in the vision. So, uh, you know, at the end, at the end of all this, it was actually a really, really important exercise for us. Um, We define our company culture with S-L-A-Y, slay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's sweat the details, learn and share, align yourself, Mm -hmm. and yield to the team. And so, um, you know, now slay is across our organization. It's how, you know, we um, – employees get reviewed on the slay rubric, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, top-down and bottom-down reviews. Um, And and it's really worked well. Yeah, yeah. And I think the key word you used there, too, was team. Mm -hmm. Because what you did, especially when you have to get that many people on board so quickly, you hire individuals. You're looking for a star here, a star here, an Mm -hmm. expert there. But if they can't mesh as a team, mm-hmm. you're, it, it actually can be worse than having people who will be less qualified, you know? So uh, that, that was really one of the great learnings that you've, you've passed along. So let me close with this, Michelle. How many schools across the country uh, are using Common Lit, at least one teacher at each one of those schools, and tell us a story mm-hmm. of one? Yeah, so right now we have about we have over sixty two thousand schools across the country that have at least one active faculty account, um, and that's really pretty amazing. Um, and there's, you know, I'll tell you this story, which I think is just remarkable and sort of full circle. So this happened about a week ago. Um, a teacher from Natchez, Mississippi, mm-hmm. her name is Vonzel, um, sent me. Michelle, um, a personal letter, handwritten, um, with a $50 enclosed check to Commonlit. And on the check, it says, you know, a proud grandmother, and it has all these colors. And, you know, it just reminded me that, you know, I've, I've gotten checks from Google, millions of dollars, you know, over $12 million since I started Common Lit. And I've got to say that this check of $50 was the most meaningful check that I've ever endorsed. <laughs> and so... Well, you did cash um, it at least. I do hear that endorsed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, uh, that's a lot of money for a teacher in Natchez, Mississippi, but I think it just speaks to um, to what we're doing. Yeah, well, that, those are the people you really want to touch, them and the students that those teachers are teaching. Well, Michelle Brown, the founder and CEO of Commonlet, thanks so much for being here this evening. If somebody wants to add their name to those 20,000 registered users signing up every school day or make a contribution of let's say fifty dollars or so. What do they need to do? Yeah, so they're so first you should go to commonlit.org. If you'd like to donate, um, you can go to commonlit.org/slash/donate. Uh, we're also hiring, mm-hmm. and we're going to be posting jobs um, here in in uh, the next couple months. So check out our careers page as well if you would like to get involved. Well, thank you, Michelle. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'll be back with more of the business of giving. Right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at BizOfGive on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving.